Chapter Nine, Part One of the English Language by Logan Pearsall Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Language and Thought. If we were given what purported to be a transcript of a medieval manuscript, and should find in it words like enlightenment or scepticism, we should not hesitate to pronounce it a glaring and absurd forgery and we should reject with equal promptness a pretended elizabethan play in which we came upon such phrases as an exciting event an interesting personality or found the characters speaking of their feelings for when we read in the famous cryptogram supposed to have been inserted by bacon in shakespeare's and his own writings secret interviews tragedies of great interest and disagreeable insinuations we begin to doubt bacon's authorship of these phrases a doubt which is considerably strengthened when we find him speaking of his affaire de coeur and the lone garden of his heart these are extreme instances but there are thousands of other words and phrases which we feel belong to definite periods and would never have been used at an earlier date the reason for our feeling is only to a slight extent philological as far as their form is concerned the greater part of these words would have been perfectly possible it is in their meanings the thoughts they express that they are such obvious anachronisms this curious sense of the dates of words or rather of the ideas that they express comes to us from our knowledge grown half instinctive of the ways of thought dominant in different epochs the mental atmosphere as we call it which made certain thoughts current and possible and others impossible at this time or that this study of the social consciousness of past ages is perhaps the most important part of history changes of government crusades religious reforms revolutions all these are half meaningless events to us unless we understand the ideas the passions the ways of looking at the world of which they are the outcome it is also the most elusive thing in history we gain enough of it indeed from literature to make us aware of any glaring anachronism but we are too apt to read back modern conceptions into old words and it is one of the most difficult of mental feats to place ourselves in the minds of our ancestors and to see life and the world as they saw it it is here that language can give the most important aid to history if we know what words were current and popular at a given period what new terms were made or borrowed and the new meanings that were attached to old ones we become aware in a curiously intimate way of interests of that period we cannot it is true always trace by means of language the ultimate source of all new ideas they may have been inherited from greece or rome they may have been discovered by some pioneer long before they became current but the date at which they are absorbed into the common consciousness is shown fairly accurately by the new words to which they give birth or the change in meaning which they produce in old ones one of the best tests of the importance and popularity of words is the number of compounds and derivatives 
which in a given period are formed from them we find for instance that many compounds from the word church church bell church door church book etc were formed in the anglo-saxon period that many derivatives were formed from court and crown courtier courteous courtesy crowning crownment in the thirteenth century and that religious words like bess and dam also produced many new terms in the early middle ages on the other hand an old word like rational which dates from the fourteenth century forms no derivatives until the seventeenth when we find rationalist rationality and several others while rationalism rationalized rationalistic belong to the nineteenth century taking then this test of language and relying in particular on those words that take root and multiply at various periods let us start with the middle ages and see what light we can get on the growth through the intervening centuries of our modern view of ourselves and the universe it is a commonplace to say that the dominant conception of modern times is that of science of immutable law and order in the material universe this great and fruitful conception so permeates our thought and so deeply influences even those who most oppose it that it is difficult to realize the mental consciousness of a time when it hardly existed but if we study the vocabulary of science the words by which its fundamental thoughts are expressed we shall find that the greater part of them are not to be found in the english language a few centuries ago or if they did exist that they were used of religious institutions or human affairs and that their transference to natural phenomena has been very gradual and late order is indeed a very old word in english and appears in the thirteenth century in reference to monastic orders and the heavenly hierarchy thrones dominations powers etc of christian theology it acquires some notion of fixed arrangement in the fourteenth century but it is not till the sixteenth century that its derivatives orderliness and orderly are found ordered meant in holy orders till this period when we also find the noun disorder regular is a fourteenth century word but was also used of monastic orders being the opposite of secular until fifteen eighty four while regularity regulation and the verb to regulate belong to the following century method and system are also modern words with the adjectives methodical systematic and uniform the verb to arrange is an old word and was used like array in a military sense but it does not appear in shakespeare or the bible and did not acquire its present meaning until the eighteenth century at which time arrangement is also found the verb to classify with classification belongs to the eighteenth century organism to the seventeenth at which time the slightly earlier organize and organization acquired their present meanings if we take the great word law we do not find it applied in english to natural phenomena before the restoration 
although its latin equivalent lex was employed in this sense by bacon earlier in the seventeenth century the roman and medieval phrase natural law lex naturae or naturalis meant the law of god implanted in the human reason for the guidance of human conduct and even the laws of nature by those who first used the phrase in our modern sense were as the oxford dictionary tells us regarded as commands which were imposed by the deity upon matter and which as we still say were obeyed by phenomena many other instances could be given but the above will suffice to show how the notion of law and order in nature and visible phenomena spread in the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries replacing the older notion of magic or divine interference partly produced by this sense of law and order in nature and probably still more the cause of it we notice also at this time a great increase in the vocabulary of observation speaking generally the names of the abstract reasoning processes reason cogitation intuition etc belong to the middle ages while those which describe the investigation of natural phenomena belong to the modern epoch or only acquire at that time their present meaning and their popular use to observe meant to obey a rule or to inspect auguries for the purpose of divination until the sixteenth century when it acquired the meaning of examination of phenomena observant and observation were old religious words meaning the obedience to religious laws until the same time perception meant the collection of rents until the seventeenth century and scrutiny was only used of boats until that period experiment and experimental are old words used in alchemy but experiment as a process as in the phrase to try by experiment is modern and experimental had hardly more than the vague meaning of observed until the sixteenth century the verbs to analyse to distinguish to investigate appear in the same period and in the next hundred years to remark to inspect to scrutinise to notice is an old verb meaning to notify but it fell out of use and was only revived and given its present meaning in america at about the middle of the eighteenth century we may also note that while words expressing belief certainty assurance credence etc are generally old in the language those that suggest doubt questioning and criticism almost all belong to the modern period doubt is of course an old theological word and doubtful appears in the fourteenth century but doubtfulness dubious dubiousness dubitable with sceptic sceptical scepticism are of modern formation and in this period too the old verbs to dissent and disagree became applied to matters of opinion or conviction this conception of order in the material universe and the spirit of investigation and inquiry resulted of course in great increase of knowledge about natural phenomena this increase of knowledge and its popular diffusion 
shows itself very clearly in the large number of words that now come into use to describe the qualities of matter we note in the sixteenth century a new use of words like tenacity and texture while in the following century we find cohesion tension elasticity and temperature at this time too the word force acquired its physical meaning and energy a word of aristotle's creation which was first employed in english as a term of literary criticism was applied to the material world though its precise modern use was not defined before the nineteenth century but it would be outside our scope to trace in detail the formation of the vocabulary of modern science we can only note that the experimental study of nature began in modern europe in the sixteenth century and that many observations were made and much material collected and that then after the check caused by the civil war when men's minds were turned at the restoration from theological controversies to the affairs of this world an immense and unprecedented advance was suddenly made in scientific knowledge all the somewhat disconnected observations collected by previous generations were now ordered and systematized and modern science sprang into existence and began to extend its domain over the whole universe but this conception of science was not so much a new discovery as the revival of ancient thought which found at the renaissance an atmosphere favourable to its fruitful development the order however which the ancients found in the universe was a fixed and unchangeable one the belief in progressive change in evolution is modern and forms perhaps the most essential difference between our view of the world and that of the greeks and romans we do not perhaps always realize how very modern the conception is but if we take the words by which it is expressed advance amelioration development improvement progress evolution we shall find that none of them can be found in english with their present meaning before the sixteenth century advance and advancement are old words in english with the meaning of promotion from a lower to a higher office and only acquired the sense of progress after the middle ages improve and improvement were terms of law french originally employed to describe the process of enclosing waste land and bringing it into cultivation they acquired the sense of making better in the seventeenth century and one of the earliest uses of improved with this modern meaning is found appropriately enough in the title of the royal society of london for improving natural knowledge founded about sixteen sixty evolution is of course a modern word in english it appeared first in a military sense in the seventeenth century and acquired its present meaning and its immense development from the work of darwin and herbert spencer in the nineteenth century indeed it is not too much to say that although the middle ages had words like regeneration and amendment with reference to the notion of personal 
conduct and its reform there were at that time no general terms to express the ideas of continuous improvement of advance to better and better conditions the reason that there were no such terms is of course that they were not needed the idea of progress may have visited the thoughts of a few lonely philosophers but it obtained no general acceptance and found no expression in the language the social consciousness was not favourable to it, being dominated as it was by the religious belief in the degeneracy of a world fallen from grace and fated to worse deterioration before its sudden end, which might come at any time. Even at the Reformation, the ideal, as the word Reformation shows, was that of a return to the purity of primitive and uncorrupted times, and the conception of continuous evolution, of an advance beyond the limits set by the past, is one which has appeared at a late period in the history of thought. Indeed, the application of this thought to human society, the belief in human progress, hardly became diffused and popular before the middle of the 18th century. Progress is an old word for a journey, a royal progress. It began to acquire the meaning of continuous improvement at the time of Shakespeare, at which time the verb to progress appeared, and the adjective progressive, which was used by Bacon in his essays. The verb, however, became obsolete in English and was introduced again from America, after the notion of progress taken into their systems and popularised by the 18th century philosophers had found its way into the popular imagination and given birth to the great new hope of modern times, the modern belief that human society is advancing or can advance to better and better conditions. We have given a summary account in the previous chapter of the deposits left by various historical events in the English language of words as historical documents still more interesting is the evidence of language about the growth of the sense of history itself the change that the modern conceptions of order and progress have produced in our way of regarding the past ages if we examine our historical vocabulary the words and phrases by which we express our sense that the past was not the same but something different from the present we shall find that they are all of them modern, and most of them indeed a very recent introduction. Men in the Middle Ages were fully conscious of antiquity, but, save for the sense of increasing deterioration, no clear distinction existed in the popular mind between the life of the present and the past. Feudal institutions and medieval ways of thought were attributed to the Greeks and Romans, who were always pictured as dressed in medieval costumes. Probably the first word in which our modern historical sense finds expression is the word primitive, as applied by the reformers to the early church. Indeed, the effect of the Reformation in turning men's thoughts not only to past events, but to the customs and institutions of earlier ages, did much to create a sense of history. This was increased 
by the revival of learning and a truer understanding of classical times. The distinction between ancient and modern appears in Bacon's writings, and the word classical, with something that by no means all of the meaning we give it, is found not much later. The Puritans, by adopting from the Church Fathers the distinction between the Old and New Testament dispensations, increased the sense of historical perspective, and the words epoch, century, decade, with the adjectives antiquated, primeval, gothic, old-fashioned, out-of-date, show its growth and spread in the 17th century. It is not, however, till the 18th century that the sense of the past embodies itself in phrases like the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, the Revival of Learning, while medieval, feudalism, Elizabethan, the Renaissance belong to the 19th century. Anachronism was used in the 17th century for an error in computing time. Its modern meaning, first found in Coleridge, is very significant and conveying as it does the idea of a thing which is appropriate to one age but out of harmony with another it expresses a thought a way of feeling which is very modern and which would not have needed expression at an earlier period the latest addition to our historical vocabulary is the word prehistoric which is first found in 1851 and which represents the opening up of an immense new field of investigation, the history of mankind before the existence of written records. With this growing sense of the past and its difference from the present, we find, as we might expect, the growth of a romantic and sentimental attitude towards bygone ages of English history, the earlier attitude of the 18th century towards the Middle Ages, which is expressed in phrases like the Dark Ages and Barbarous or Gothic, to describe everything medieval, was not long after succeeded by the Romantic movement, and its revival, which we have already mentioned, of old and half-forgotten words. But these words of the Romantic revival, chivalry, chivalrous, minstrel, bard, etc., have now taken on a romantic glamour they by no means originally possessed. Minstrel was a name for a buffoon or juggler, as well as a musician in early times, while bard, as a name for a Gaelic singer, was used with beggar and vagabond as a term of contempt, until it became associated with the classical use of the same word, and was idealised by Sir Walter Scott. Our modern use of chivalry as an ideal of conduct dates no further back than Burke's famous phrase, the age of chivalry is gone. The above instances of modern ways of thought and feeling will give us some slight notion of the words we must delete from our vocabulary. The ideas we must dismiss from our mind, should we wish to enter into the spirit and popular consciousness of the Middle Ages. Should we succeed in our attempt, we should find ourselves in a world strangely different from the world which modern thought has created for us, a world not governed by impersonal law, but expressing supernatural purpose, 
and subject to constant supernatural intervention the sense of the past and future the looking before and after of modern times the historical sense which makes the past so different from the present and fills our minds with speculation and ideals for the future would drop from us the present would be for us the same as the past and our future prospect would be that of more or less swift destruction of the world and human society our modern universe is a vast process of ordered change and regular development theirs was a definite and almost unchanging creation formed in a moment out of nothing and destined to end as suddenly as it began but perhaps what would impress us most would be the absorption of thought in immediate practical considerations the absence of curiosity about natural objects save in so far as they ministered to man's service we should find that the movements of heavenly bodies were mainly of interest for their supposed effect on the destiny of human beings the plants that were useful or supposed to be useful in medicine and magic were the ones that were known and named zoology was important for the moral lessons to be drawn from the ways of animals mineralogy consisted largely of a knowledge of the magical powers of jewels chemistry was pursued for the purpose of transmuting metals into gold and even the philosophy of the middle ages was an effort not so much to arrive at truth as to reconcile reason and revealed religion we should find plenty of speculation about the practical uses of things and many words to describe their nature from this point of view but words to describe their qualities apart from their uses would be almost entirely wanting even the vocabulary of another side of disinterested observation the sense of beauty will be scanty for words like admiration and beautiful belong to the sixteenth century and not to the middle ages end of chapter nine part one